Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. Lord, thank you for your word, and I just bless it, declare that people would encounter you today. Unlock our eyes, unlock our ears, Jesus, so we could hear your word. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. I remember the first time that I was in a worship service, and that kind of thing came over me. Whew, I was snot bubbling and just hooting and hollering in tears as the Lord's love came washing in over me. It just, it messed me up. Anybody else have something like that happen? I've been, I've been thinking about, because we don't all respond the same way. You know, we don't all respond the same way. You know, if I, if I had a meeting with you and I told you, hey, I just want you to know I love you, some people would tear up and there would be an emotional experience. Other people would be like, hey, you don't know me. You're kind of weird. Some of you would feel affirmed. Right? Oh, my pastor's got my back. Some of you would feel proud that you're connected in that way and that someone cares, right? The expression of how we receive love is unique to each one. Yeah? I had a, a mother who encountered God's presence on a regular basis. And and, and so I have memories as a child of walking into her bedroom as she was reading the Bible. And I, and I remember because their, their room didn't have a lot of outside light. And so it would be lit by like a lamp in the corner or, um, you know, they, they had a, a window, but the curtains would be drawn. So I come in in the morning and there my mom would be sitting with a lamp with her Bible open, leaning up against the, the backrest of the bed. And often I would find her, you know, with tears streaming down her face or she'd be feverishly writing notes. But she had just heard from the Lord as she was spending time in the Word. And I saw this and it marked me. I recognized something in that the encounter of the Lord is possible just by reading his Bible. That thing got awakened to me. You know, my mom was known for uh, for, for hearing God's voice. The, the people that, that she was friends with, if you asked her, hey, what was Debbie like? Because my mom passed away when she was 42 years old. She died of cancer. But her friends would say, whenever you got interacted with my mom, there would be one of, you, you would, first of all, you would know that she loves you. You'd experience that. My mom loves you. That's what you would feel from her. You'd also know that she loved the Lord because she would tell you. She'd talk to you about Jesus. And then she would also know, like she would tell you and ask you to pray for her son because he had not come to know Jesus yet. And so those are the three things you'd come to know. If you met my mom, she'd go, oh man, this woman loves me, she loves Jesus, and she wants her son to come to know Jesus. Eventually, I did come to know the Lord, thank goodness, right? It wasn't too late. She got to meet me, know me, since I was gloriously saved, okay, before she passed on. But my mom was also totally human. She had encounters with God, but she was down to earth. She was real. She was authentic. Not this veneer Christian. 
not, not the, the plastic Christian. Authenticity means that the real you shows up. You know, and so I, I, we, we laugh still to this day a little bit because um, there's like this T-shirt that goes around and says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You know that one? Okay, that was my mom. <laughs> Man, she loved Jesus, but you get her going, and all of a sudden you'd hear it. And just rip and roar, <laughs> a little cuss word coming out. This is the pastor's wife of a Baptist church, you know? She's also the one that would sneak up behind you in a drinking fountain, just like shove your head into it, and then walk away, and you would never guess it couldn't be the pastor's wife who did that. True story happened to my wife, right? My mom shoved her head into a drinking fountain and then pretended like it wasn't her and walked away. She loved the Lord. And that came out in, in everything. And you can be real and you don't have to be a plastic Christian. You don't have to be pretend. You don't have to put on a veneer. Nothing has to be perfect. Jesus was perfect and he's washed you and he's remaking you and he's given you a life and that life is supposed to come out of you in authentic, real ways. You know, one of the things I believe that we owe the next generation is an encounter with God. I think we owe it to them. Let me explain what I mean. You know, in Israel's day, the scripture says that as long as Joshua was alive and the elders who served Joshua, all of the people that saw the encounters with God, all the people that experienced God's presence, during their lifetime, the people of Israel followed the Lord. But then there arose a generation who did not have that living encounter. They forgot. They did not have the experience themselves. And when that generation rose up, that is when Israel began to serve the idols. That is when Israel fell away from the ways of the Lord. You and I, as followers of Christ, those who have had experiences with God, encounters with Jesus, our job is to make sure the next generation also encounters the Lord. It's our, it's our responsibility. It's the role we get to play. So when, when you hear us up here talking about a kid's ministry or volunteering for being a part of a kid's camp or that kind of thing, we're not asking you to, to come and pretend to do something. We're saying, hey, we need you to jump and grab a hold of the encounter that God's given you and find a way to pass it off to the next generation. And here's a living opportunity for you to do that. Are you alive this morning? It's not a commercial for kids ministry. I'm telling you that this is the most important thing that we do. Let's see the next generation come to know Jesus. That is a good word right there. Would you tell your neighbor? Because they didn't believe me right now. Just go, hey, that was a good word. You should. Yep. <laughs> what do I mean? Pastor Jamie, what do you mean by encountering the Lord? What does that mean? You know, there's lots of ways that we can slice this up. There are many experiences, unique experiences, in the scriptures alone, when people met the Lord, that their experience was unique. There were people that just fell down like dead men. <laughs> That's kind of fun, right? You meet Jesus, boom, you just fall over dead. That's great, okay? There are people who were terrified. There are others who were completely undone. 
There's some who snuck through the crowd and reached up for the hem of his garment and suddenly were cured of a lifelong disease. And they are absolutely filled with hope for a new day and a new life. And then Jesus comes face to face with them and lets them know, yeah, you're forgiven, you're released, you're healed. Good job. I don't know what the encounter has been like for you, but I can tell you how the scripture defines it. The Apostle John, I think, summarized it best. I think he just nailed it. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love. Everyone repeat, repeat those three words. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You may react differently. Tears, joy, laughing, fall down like a dead man, jump up and down. I've seen some weird stuff in my day. The funky chicken, you know, like there's people manifesting God's presence in their life. There's weird stuff y'all do, okay? But what's at the core of it was that they just encountered the love of God. God is love. And your manifestation may be unique to you of the way that you express it. But when you encounter pure love that has no strings attached to it, love that sets you free, love that gives you hope, love that means everything has changed, that you're fully accepted, you don't ever have to hide anymore. Love that absolutely transforms the way that you will live the rest of your life. You just can unapologetically just be you for the first time. That kind of love that liberates you. Oh, man. However you want to go, you go, girl. All right? You do it. That's where there's freedom of expression. You cry. You'll be filled with awe, filled with joy. You'll weep. You'll be delivered. You'll be healed. You'll be set free. Love will fill your soul, give you hope, because to come in the presence of the living God is to walk away totally ruined from anything you knew before. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that has this experience. I don't know if you've read it this way, but I want to read it in this light, okay? This is the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 6, and this prophet comes face to face with God, and it messes him up. All right, so we're going to read this experience. This is Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know if you're ready for this. You ready for this? I don't know if you are. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah, of, of King Uzziah's death. Now, what you need to know about this guy, Uzziah, is that he pretended to be a priest, and he perverted the way of worship in Israel. It was a problem. He messed up the worship system. And so in the year that Uzziah, in the year that we had some reformation in how we see God, the natural system had some order put back to it. In that same time period, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. The train of his robe was filling the temple. That's a present tense filling. It means it never fully came in. The train of his robe was the picture of his glory. So his glory was coming in the room, and it never stopped coming in the room. The whole time he was there, it was just more and more and more. It's like getting more and more intense. The train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim 
stood above him, having six wings, two that covered their face, two that covered their feet, and two they were flying with. One called out to the other. Now, hold on. You might need to plug your ears here. Holy! It says holy, 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 but that is not how it was experienced. The Bible writes it holy, holy, holy because it didn't have an exclamation point with underline and bold type. It was repeated so that you would get the emphasis of what was saying. The seraphim were screaming out to one another, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. They're screaming this at one another. Holy! They got their faces covered, right? They're covering their face. They're flying like they're covering their feet. The feet is the picture of humanity. They did the creation. So they're covering the, the fact that they are created beings in the presence of the creator. They're screaming at one another, holy! And it's so intense. The smoke is filling the room, the, the thresholds of heaven. Now, heaven, you would think, is sturdy. Building, probably good. Like, it's not earthquake. Like, but it says that, that the thresholds of heaven are shaking. The foundations of the thresholds are trembling when, from the noise. So for those of you who wear earplugs in this service, just wait till you get there. Okay? This is just cement. This ain't even heaven. I'm telling you, the DB level in heaven is going to be off the chain. Okay? They're calling out. The temple is being filled with smoke. And then I said, then the prophet said, woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Check this out. I'm a man of unclean lips. What that means is this, is that I have been saying things about God that are not true. I thought I understood, and I'm clueless. I live among a people, the Israelites, the only ones that God has revealed himself to in creation, and the Israelites have no clue who God is. We think one thing about him, and we're unsure. We do not know who he really is. And here God is revealing himself to Isaiah, and Isaiah is saying, I am totally ruined. I am undone. I cannot believe what I see because I thought God was this way. He judges the nations. He judges sin. He is the God who, who is unwilling to stand in the place where, where sin is allowed. He is just, and he is. but in, in the, the receiving end of that, if you're in the nations and you're trembling at the Lord, why? Because he's wiping nations out. This looks like a judgmental, angry God. But here Isaiah is in God's presence, and what does he discover? That God is what? Love. God hasn't changed, y'all. God has not changed from beginning of creation till now. In the Old Testament, God was still love. God was love. So Isaiah, the one who's supposed to represent God to the people, is saying, I'm ruined because he's been misrepresenting who God is. I want to propose to you today that when you preach the gospel, when you talk to people about God, when you represent Jesus, that the only way that you can represent God in a clean way is to represent him as love. Huh. Okay. We'll keep going. God is love, and Isaiah goes, I'm ruined. 
I am totally ruined. I'm undone. Your love, are you kidding me? See, I felt that feeling when I'm in the presence of the Lord and I'm just absolutely undone by his love. I'm messed up. I'm wrecked. I can't imagine seeing that face to face. He's undone. And so one of the seraphim flies over with the coal and he says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, I've touched your lips. And so your iniquity is taken away from you and your sin is forgiven. So now he has a clean conscience before a God who loves him. See, when you feel guilty before a holy God, you're motivated to do stuff, but it will not be out of love. When you feel guilty, you'll be motivated to accomplish things, but it won't be because you love him. It'll feel, you'll feel motivated to accomplish things because you're trying to appease something that's going on on the inside. But when the Lord cleanses your conscience and then you're in the presence of love, something happens to you. God says this. He goes, hey, is there anybody here who would be willing to represent me well in the earth? And what's Isaiah cry out? Here am I, send me. You feel called to ministry? You feel called to speak on behalf of the Lord? Oh, friends, the only way you can do that with a clean conscience is if you have experienced his love and what you're trying to communicate is his love. Every other motivation is a false motivation. Every other, you have anger towards sin, and so you need to go tell people how wrong sin is. I would encourage you to go have an encounter with the Lord. You're motivated for deliverance. Praise God. Jesus is motivated for deliverance as well, but what he was really after was expressing the love of the Father to people. See, it's the love of the Father that undoes all of the works of the devil. It's the love of the Father. It is love that is the chief motivator. There is no other motivation. It has to be love because God is love. If you want to bring people an actual encounter with God, what you bring is love. It's love to represent him in any other way. I'm sorry, but you're falling short. Love has to be the chief motivator. It has to come from love. It may manifest in different ways. Tears, fear, anger. There might be other ways that the flower shows up, but the root has to be love. Amen. Pastor Jamie has a really good point there. Let me just... It's a good job. You just keep going there, Pastor Jamie. Way to go. One must encourage himself in the Lord from time to time. When we talk about evangelism, this can be the only way. If you want to run crusades and preach the gospel, if you want to go on the streets and preach the gospel, if you want to get behind an event like Pan and Prague and you want to preach the gospel, this is the only way. It must be love. It can't be fear of the future. Oh, what would the future hold? And so we got to get out there and change the world. Otherwise, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. That is not a proper motivation. You're going to end up skewed and messed up. Amen. Hmm. We're just getting rolling here. You guys ready? Here am I. Send me. That is a heart that is ruined in God's love. Lord, you love me. I love you. I'm ready. Mark 12, 28. One of the lawyers, a scribe, came up to Jesus. 
He recognized that Jesus was answering people well, and so he asked him, what commandment is the best, the foremost? What's the best commandment? Jesus said, the foremost commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, right, teacher. You've truly stated that he is one and there's no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one another's neighbors. This is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that the man had answered him intelligently, he said, ah, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him anything. <laughs> Jesus is a genius, by the way. He argues with people, right? He calls the lawyers and the those people brood of vipers. And he's like, and then he gets one that gets close to the right answer and he just flips it. It's like a Yoda moment, right? Oh, much wisdom do you have, young Jedi, right? And he just flips it on him and he agrees with him. And he says to him, you're right because love is the government of heaven. Love is the way that heaven rules. You're so close to the rule of heaven, the government of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. You're close to getting it. Jesus makes a clear connection between loving God and loving people. A clear connection between these two realities. Okay, I want you to point out one more, one more connection point. This is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. It's the Beatitudes culture of heaven, Jesus begins to describe. He says, you heard from the ancients, you shall not commit murder. That's a good idea, right? Okay, if you disagree with somebody, don't kill them, right? Like, I, I, you know, I was joking around in first service, like, if you murder somebody, that's the end of your relationship. You heard it said, don't commit murder. Whoever commits murder is liable to the court. You're going to be guilty. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother is actually guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell, the place assigned for unbelievers. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, so coming to worship God, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, the judge of the officer, and be thrown in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll not come out until you've paid the last cent. This one is worth just taking a little moment to look at. Because this one is modern society. This is the cancel culture. This is where we're at, right here. Okay? So hear me, okay? If you're falling asleep, slap yourself, okay? You got it. If your neighbor's falling asleep, feel free. We already took up an offering, but if you wanted to do it again, you can reach it in their wallet right now. It's great. Okay, listen to it. He said, murder, that's a no-no, you're guilty. 
right? It's the most extreme version of a destruction of a relationship. You murdered somebody, the relationship's over. You have canceled them. But then he draws it back and he says, to get angry with somebody, you are just as guilty as murdering them. Why? Because you have begun to discredit them in your heart. You're ending the relationship. You are discrediting what they have to say. It's, it's the picture of accusing them of something to hold them back in your connection. You get a little angry with them. You're a little tiffed at them. You hold them back. Then he says, if you say you good for nothing, okay, that's the statement of you have nothing of value to add to me. You're good for nothing. I'm canceling your connection with me because I'm angry. You did something that offends me. You have nothing to add to me, no value to add to me. And let's take it a step further. You're a fool. In other words, you are the cause of destruction in our nation. You are the cause of the moral fabric coming to the end. You are the reason why we're having these problems. And then I flip the script and I make it your problem. And you are my enemy now. You're taking value from us. You accuse them of wrongdoing by saying they have no value. You're focusing your anger on their wrongdoing, and you are now accusing them of hurting the value in society, and you don't care if they exist or not. Murder. It's cancel culture. It's this. It's, I need... I, I am shutting your voice down because you have no value. I'm making you the enemy. And look at what the Lord says to this. He says, if you're at the altar and you're offering worship to me, you need to leave your worship to me and you need to go be reconciled with the people that you say have no value. Jesus makes the connection. He says that loving God and loving your neighbor, they are not separable. You can't separate these things. You can't separate these two things. Upon this, upon loving God and loving your neighbor, upon love being expressed and given and received, that's what the whole law and prophets all hang on. You guys okay? Take a deep breath. Come on. We're not through it yet. We're, we're, we're getting there. No. There is a sentiment of if I worship God and I have this spiritual thing right, then I'm able to leave behind the natural consequences of relationships that have been burned. And it's more existent in modern church culture than it was in older ones because in the older church culture, there wasn't so many churches and you didn't have ease of transportation. And so if you... You, you, if you're excommunicated from the community church, if you burned your bridges there, you didn't have another church to go to. And, and so there's, there was a sense of accountability that was a little bit greater in the older. But now, listen, you just plug in. I, there are some people right now, you're watching me online right now because you don't want to attend your local church. Hi. I love you, but please go make it right and plug back in. Listen, 
I'm all for you being here. I love you. I want you here. If this is your home church, man, plug in, right? But, but hear the words because Jesus said, you, you're, it's going to hurt you in the future. See, because eventually what you've sown, you're going to reap. And so if you burned a bridge at a previous relationship, like we're all interconnected. That thing's going to come back around. I, in the school of ministry and with my kids, the way I, I encourage people, I say, hey, you got to go dig up the seed you've planted. If you've planted bad seed, go dig it back up before it bears fruit. So if you burned a bridge with somebody, if you did something that injured somebody, man, go apologize, go make it right. You don't want that thing coming back and haunting you. You don't want skeletons in the closet. God has a future for you. You don't want to undo that by going, by, by not dealing with something that you just left there. Why? Don't leave it. Go make it right. And so if you're presenting at the altar and you're worshiping the Lord and you remember that someone's got something against you, it's easy. Just get up and go make it right. Why? Because, because love of God and love of people are connected. You can't separate these two things. Are you alive? I was working with this, uh, this talented, talented, gifted individual, young person, very gifted. Like, like you hear them do their thing, and it's like, wow, how are you not famous? And I began working with them and found out they're from another, you know, another church. They had been a part of other ministries. And I'm like, ah, oh, no big deal. Lots of people are like that. But as I was working with them, I realized they're pretty flaky in terms of their interaction weren't following through with commitments. They weren't, you know, I was like, ah, this isn't okay. So I began to confront, begin to hold them accountable to their choices and begin to have conversations. And pretty soon they're ghosting me, right? Because they went out and they found another opportunity over here. And as long as the opportunities kept coming, then I don't need to hold relationships true. So, but the thing is, is that their, their opportunities begin to dry up eventually because you can't burn all the bridges and still expect it to work. And so they, they're church-topped until all the bridges are gone. And then I had been a person who had said, listen, you will always have a place, and I will always give you opportunity, but you have to follow through. You have to clean up your messes. And so they came to me one day, and they said, I need a letter of recommendation to do this thing, because they had been given an opportunity that was clearly a God thing. Like, wow, next level, this could move your life forward opportunity. And they came to me and they said, I need you to write me a letter of like, recommendation. I said, I can't do that for you unless you fulfill these obligations. And my list was this. I need you to go and apologize to the people you burn bridges with. Just go acknowledge you did wrong and make it right. Seems simple, right? Just go admit you did them wrong. Go acknowledge that you hurt people. It's funny what happens in those moments. Suddenly they're defending and giving excuses. It wasn't my fault. And we, we just really don't like to own our end of those things. But like Jesus said, go make it right before you come to the Lord. Go make it right. You have no idea. I would love to say, oh, this person turned it all around and God's using them powerfully. He's not. In fact, uh, you know, 
from what my view is, that literally they aren't doing anything. Love the person, want them to succeed, totally willing even to keep walking it out. Maybe someday there will be a redemptive story, but there isn't one right now. See, we're in a context here of, of actual, like there's real spiritual authority in this community. It's a real one. Like we're really connected in. We really love one another. We really want you to succeed. But you also have to clean up your messes. So if you do someone wrong, you need to go make it right. Otherwise, it will hurt you in the future. But if you're willing to make things right, you're willing to apologize, you're willing to humble yourself, oh man, there's nothing that you can't do. This future's wide open to you. Are you alive? Because this is what family behaves like. This is how family works. Okay. I think Jesus is confronting the lie, especially in charismatic people, that says that if you will worship and you have your conscience clear before God, that you don't have to do anything before man. That's a lie. Go make it right. Amen. Okay. All right. We ready? We got la- last, last thing, and then we can land the plane. Okay, if you got a bail, you got a bail. God bless you. Here we go. 1 John 4, verse 7. Okay, we're going to finish what we started. John the Apostle, he, I'm telling you, he's, he is a rock star. This guy knew it. He put his head on Jesus' chest. He was the one that Jesus loved. Like, he got it. Here we go. Beloved, let's love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's deep. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that he sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, past, present, future, to forgive us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Past, present, future, forgive their sins. Don't hold them accountable for the junk they've done. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, you haven't seen God, but you experience him when we love one another. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he gave us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected. Okay, keep holding on. We're right here. That we can have confidence in the day of judgment. The day when you are going to be held accountable for your life, you'll have confidence. Why? Because you trusted Jesus to forgive you, past, present, future, and you were not holding on to the sins of others, past, present, future. In other words, you are free from judgment, free from the hooks of sin. You'll have confidence before God 
because as he is, we are in the world. In other words, the way he behaves towards us, we're behaving towards others. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment or pain. Fear comes from pain. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Here's the deal. If you say you love God, but you do not love people, you're a liar. You don't know God. You have religion. You may have some version of this, but you don't know God. It's that simple. Pastor Jamie, that sounds awfully like harsh and judgmental. Okay, let me slow it down for you. When you receive Jesus and you recognize Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice, he poured out his love. When you receive that love, that love is now meant to touch every area of your life. If you find that you don't love somebody, it's because there's fear there. It's because there's pain there. Fear originates from pain. They burned you in the past. They hurt you in the past. They did something. You don't want to love them. You don't want to be near them. Why? Because I'm afraid. Love casts out that fear. So if there's a people group, come on, get real for a moment. You ready? If there's a people group in our society, if there's a people group that you are worried about, Oh, we better minimize their impact in the school system. The reason we need to minimize their impact in the school system is because they're going to cause this value to be translated into our children. And fear is rising up. And so what do I need to do? I need to do Matthew 5, right? I need to minimize their voice. I need to devalue him. I need to tell them that they have no ability to speak in. And I need to finally silence them in impacting people. Why? Because I am afraid. And I don't love them. Now that has been seen time and time again in culture. Man, Thank you, Austin. Man, you have no idea. This man right here, Austin Coleman. Austin and I, we have a divine connection. God showed him to me in a dream. We got connected years and years and years ago when he was pastoring this church that we now reside in. There's a divine partnership. And we said at the very beginning of our partnership and our relationship that we were going to see like racism basically removed from the body of Christ. We said, because you don't, you don't remember because you're not old enough. I'm not old enough. But there's a cultural memory that had so much fear involved with the color of people's skin. And so there was the devaluation and there was the laws and there was all that kind of stuff that restrained people's voices. Why? Because we we're afraid. But what casts out fear? It's love, y'all. We have to move away from fear. We need to move towards love. 
And in our towards love, as we're walking towards love, light shines. Light exposes sin and debauchery. Light removes judgment. Light causes people to come to know the Lord. The people that you're most afraid of causing damage in your society and in your relationships and in your family, those people that you're most afraid of are the very ones that you need to learn how to love if you want to remove the demonic hold off of you. I don't know why we're afraid. I don't know why we're afraid. God loves this nation. He loves us. He put his love in us, and so that when we express his love, it's supposed to transform everything. When I touched the love of God, it ruined my life forever. No longer to be afraid of people. No longer. To, I'm not afraid sin's going to get on me. Are you kidding me? I'm the one who walks up and touches leprosy and it leaves the person. I'm not unclean. Why are we afraid? I can't speak to the specific things going on in your life. I'm talking in generals. Don't assume I'm talking about your issue. You're thinking about your issue because it's your issue, not mine. Okay? Whatever accusation you came up with in your heart to silence my voice and to devalue what I'm saying today, that's your deal, not mine. <laughs> love, love is the answer. It really is. The love of Jesus, love of Jesus will transform your life. The love of Jesus will transform your family. The love of Jesus will remove barriers and strip down boundaries, and it will absolutely render the enemy powerless to bring destruction. We can do this. This is who we are. We're called to be this in our society. We don't have to abandon truth. Are you kidding me? No. The love of Jesus makes truth like a bomb. There is no laws against love. Hope you're okay. Just stand to your feet. I'll, I'll crash land the plane here. Let's do it. Okay, just put a hand on your own heart. I'm just going to read these last things and pray. I want you to see today how encountering the love of God will transform your life. The kingdom of heaven is not far off from the person who embraces love. Our relationships with others are a reflection of what's really going on in our spiritual life. If we hate people, no matter what the reason is, it demonstrates where God's love has not touched your life. It shows you where love still needs to go. If we refuse to forgive others, it's demonstrating where we are unwilling to let God touch our own need for mercy. It actually points out the very place of pride that still exists in your own heart. If you find that fear is causing you to intentionally create distance from specific people by accusing them of wrongdoing, saying they add no value, focusing your anger on their actions, and accusing them of hurting your society, then you probably don't care if they exist or not. 
be very careful. You are doing the very same thing that Jesus warned the early believers that they would be in danger of the very fires of hell. Not my words, his. The practical outcome of today's message is this. Love people. Love all of them. No matter their differences, love them. It is love that demonstrates that you know God. My prayer for us today is Isaiah 6 that you would have an encounter with the love of God that totally undoes and causes your heart to burst forth saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Let me love people. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would touch hearts, you liberate lives. If that's you this morning, if I'm talking to you, if your heart is stirred this morning by the things that I'm saying, would you just wave at me real quick? Yeah. Lord, you see the people. You see the people. Holy Spirit, where we have fear in our hearts towards others, I pray that you would just show us who that is. Listen, the Lord wants you to run at your fear. He doesn't want you to run away from it. He wants to reveal his love for people. And so this is the most dangerous prayer I know in this moment, okay? You ready? I want you to pray this with me right now. Father in heaven, show me how you see them. I want you to imagine that people you're a little bit afraid of, you a little bit know about. Man, it's whoever you were imagining I was talking about this morning, okay? That came to your heart. That's who it is. I want you to imagine right now. I want you to ask God, God, how do you see them? Because society is deathly afraid of Christians that we're going to ruin what they've been fighting for. Society is deathly afraid that conservative Christians are going to lord over them in the law and take advantage of the way the Supreme Court is right now and try to force laws upon them that would restrain their ability to be who they feel like they're supposed to be. That's the fear that's in society right now. Love undoes the demonic stronghold of fear. Just love people. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities in the day ahead to love that specific group of people or that specific person. God, I pray right now for a mercy, a divine mercy to touch our lives. God, we just, we're asking for forgiveness for ourselves. Did wash us, cleanse us. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we too might love the way you love us. God, I pray for an encounter with heaven in the days ahead that each one would have their own Isaiah 6 moment. God, that you would absolutely unlock their ability to see and perceive that they would have a spirit of revelation and wisdom that they might see Jesus. Let us see you, Lord, that we be transformed into your likeness. God, I thank you for these things. Thank you for your people. Now, may the Lord bless you. Come on, you ready? Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's favor be on your life. May he be gracious to you. Let his countenance be towards you. You know his smile. And that the shalom of heaven would guard your heart and mind. You'd live within his kingdom of peace and you'd advance it everywhere you go. God, I declare these things today in Jesus' mighty name. And if you dare to agree with that, you said... Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. 
It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at iTheHouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week. Thank you.